The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is Beneath the Planet of the Apes edition. (laughs) That's that's the only way I could do it, I guess. All right, my name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, of course, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, the lover of these movies. Hello, Tom. What the hell would I have to say to a gorilla? (laughs) <laughs> amazing it is it's an amazing line from uh from pepsi charlton heston gotcha <laughs> oh shit when when uh, when he was poor um, James Franciscus when he was reunited when Brent was reunited with Taylor at the end of this movie I said out loud as I was watching it I'm Coke <laughs> I'm Pepsi Coke me Pepsi sit out Pepsi I'll take over from here it's Ugh. Pepsi isn't it <laughs> I I totally. I don't even remember if it's in the movie, but I totally Mandela affected that he says, I remember you from the Academy. Yeah. Does he say that in the movie? No, uh, I don't know if they... You have to do a lot of headcanon work in these yeah. movies. Because they, they, they recognize each other. They do, yeah, but I think he just but... says it's, it's Brent. Is Well, of course he recognizes he's, he's the same person. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, Who put a mirror in here? Who, <laughs> you love my lost long twin? Wait a Which minute, is like you're... another sequel thing they could have done for this movie. It could have been his brother. They could have Curly's gold this shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, talking he's not about, the, about the 1970 sequel, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, directed by Ted Post. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have some film knowledge to know Ted Post, but you know, if you know Magnum Force or Hang 'em High, yeah, he directed those and he did a lot of, uh, Gunsmoke and Rawhide episodes as as well as Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. He described in the Behind the Planet of the Apes as a veteran film and television director. There you go. Which as we know is a euphemism for quite as good as we were hoping to get <laughs> right but he's but been Frank- around franklin schaffner was off doing patents so they had no choice yeah right well this movie had 39 percent on rotten tomatoes tom well say again 39 percent on rotten tomatoes and all of these movies to in my mind except for escape are criminally low on the tomato meter however 
you know, the tomato uh, meter thing really is kind of subjective. Me. Yeah. That like, I mean, not, I'm not even doing this for comic effect. That really upset me. <laughs> I think we need, I think we need to, there've been enough of these now. I, I, I think we need to sort of cancel the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Fuck them. At least on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know whose views they are representing. Yeah. It's hard to say. Well, and also with, when you go back in time, as far as this movie, 1970, yeah. like a lot of times you'll just see, like Rotten Tomatoes might just have eight reviews. Well, contemporary. But I also noticed that, yeah. I don't know if it was Conquest or Battle, which has a similar rating, like 34% or something. Mm, but when you look it up on TV, it would say something like 60%. Okay. So, but on the official site, this is what they have. So I, I don't know how to, you know, Contemporane- fix that. Contemporaneously, the critical reaction was, was mixed and on the lower side of mixed. Yeah. So I guess it's that, I guess that's consistent. Uh, but, you know, uh, what? 61% of people are. Uh, wrong yeah exactly i mean but that's about the same same number of people who tried to vote for trump so yeah there you go but but to be fair you know we both referenced in our ranking episode that the first half of this movie is total retread and a little bit boring yeah and if you can't appreciate where it goes in the second half then you're not gonna like this movie yeah how you cannot appreciate it is beyond me, but you know, to each their own. Well, also, you know, the 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 again, again, we're 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 back in Halloween territory because we have a it's coming and much more closely coming after a, a you know a, a universally adored movie, mm-hmm. like even at the time of release. Right, that's true. And this is. Two years, less than two years later. So contending with that. Yeah. Yeah. Is, and I think, you know, you wouldn't appreciate the fact that it's the part of it's a retread. You also wouldn't, uh, <laughs> you also wouldn't appreciate the fact that it's not Planet of the Apes as well. Like this movie is almost the worst possible <laughs> uh, kind of paradox. Yeah. Because... You're you're gonna alienate people who want more Planet of the Apes, and you're gonna alienate people who want to do something different from Planet of the Apes, uh, just in different halves of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's like half the audience is like, "I walked out." The other half is, "I walked in." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I walked in about an hour in. It was great. It was fantastic. <laughs> I've never seen. It was like Apocalypse Now. <laughs> well, this movie had a budget of $3 million in the USA and the world, collected $18.9 million, so profit. Run away. Still riding the wave of, of, uh, of box office from the original movie. But Probably. unfortunately, with regards to budget, because there were, in the late 60s there were a series of flops at 20th Century Fox, yeah. including Dr. Doolittle and Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly, I remember reading. Um, they slashed the budget the, to half yeah. of what the original was. Yeah. And there's 
traces of that. I actually think they they do a lot with the money they have. I think they but... do. Too. In all of these movies, they do a lot with the money that they are given. But you can, you know, you can see you can, the, you can the cracks. It. Yeah, yeah, you can see that you know the, the the cracks in the woodwork sometimes. Absolutely. But uh, sometimes I'm really, I mean, <laughs> when we when we get to the second half of the movie, you know, their thrift uh, is something to behold in terms of what they produce. Yes, absolutely. Well, this movie spent two weeks at number one. All of wow. these sequels had at least one week at number one. That's why they kept making them. Right. No other reason. Yeah. (laughs) Let me ask you this, because since doing our ranking and declaring episode, I kept thinking about why it was I never saw these movies. Access? What's that? Access? Maybe. I don't know. I just... You're I feel a little like, young for them, right? For the men that I know, you yeah, like to, you I mean, like they, to see movies at the theater. True, and you you you're, you're historically not able to with these. You correct, uh, at least not without my bottle, <laughs> or in the case of this movie, in the womb. But, <laughs> um, but I guess I what I'm curious about is sort of the. Do you have a sense of how these movies are as sequels viewed large picture, like culturally? Yeah. Because I think I had this idea in my head that they were thought of as uh, dregs. Yeah. People really don't know what what is going yeah. on here. Right. They they've been ri- they've been written off. Exactly. To a large extent. And I think I know, that. I, I, I think that played into why I never saw them. Yeah. And now upon seeing them, I want to build them up. I want people to watch these movies. Absolutely. It's, I mean, a lot of it is to do with access, at least in the modern day. Uh, They've never, you know, in the age of DVD and Blu-ray, they were never cheap to buy. They've only recently been available on streaming platforms, which is kind of why we're doing it now. Um, but while the getting's good, while the getting's good, and you know, again, it it goes back to that you know the cult status of the of the brand all centers around the original movie, and that's the one that you know is is constantly being shown and re released and you know re examined, and the sequels are just not treated at the same level. Right. Uh, and, and you know, there's been times in in you know the last couple of decades where you could see one or two of these movies, but never as a series. And that, to me, is when they become important. something else. Yeah, exactly. Because if you watch them back to back, you realize that all the film series we watch uh, are connected to these movies. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're pulling the same tricks that they were doing in the early '70s in this one series. Right. Um, and. Whether knowingly or not, I don't know how much that's the case. But you know, basically, there 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 are certain narrative problems faced when you do a a, a continuing film series like this, especially when you plan to end it after every single movie you do. <laughs> right, and and this movie kind of 
came up with the answers of how you do that. Yeah. And all that we've done in... This is a big statement, but I think it's true. All that we've done in sequel cinema since is to find the same answers. And maybe that's because they're the right answers, or maybe it's because this has been done and we're imitating that. I don't know. That's one of the most fascinating things that I find about this series in particular is how connected sequeldom feels to these movies. Yeah. Because the tropes or the inventions, rather, that these movies created, we're still using. Yep. I mean, that's remarkable. But nobody seems to talk about that specifically. And nobody talks about these movies almost at all, and especially their place within history of film. Yeah. It's the, you know, they say it in, in Behind the Planet of the Apes documentary, the Statue of Liberty casts a long shadow. Mm-hmm. And that's the shadow that these sequels are sitting under, you know. True. It, and it, it's it's fasc- it's fascinating as well because you know you you think of that of the Statue of Liberty ending to the Planet of the Apes as you know one of the biggest swings in cinema. It's a swing that's matched at least three other times in the series. <laughs> exactly. I know it's crazy. And actually. You know, a bigger, bigger swings are made in the series than that. But, you know, it's about it's about uh, visibility, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you can that image is so ingrained in American culture now that it's such a it's such a um, it's such a go to reference. In but, you know, blowing <laughs> the the uh, the nuclear bomb you know, worshipped as deity and the, <laughs> you know, ape revolution. Yeah. Like, like these things are just as provocative, but they don't have the same, I, you know, iconic status in our culture, so they get overlooked. Interesting. Well, I mean, starting at the beginning, this movie... Or the end. Starting yeah. at the end of the last well, movie. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that the beginning of this movie... Gives us one of our first imbasses, yep. you know, ever created, which is, hey, let's watch the last movie. Let's and that's where big, this movie starts. Let's watch a big chunk of the last movie. A big chunk. Uh, yeah, and again. And then it's like, we see a big chunk, then we're introduced to two new astronauts. One dies. <laughs> and then we be, we, you know, then... Just by happenstance, the new astronaut sees Zira. Yeah. And then we're back to flashbacks. Right. Uh, at least of stuff we haven't you seen. Mean, you mean Nova? Oh, Z- yes. Sorry. Yes. No, but 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 she but uh, she's been instructed to say Zira. So I understand <laughs> the confusion. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, it it's. Again, you've got to give it credit for being one of the first times that this has probably been done. Mm-hmm. You know, it will. We're tired. We're tired of it because of all the movies we've seen. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but it put a smile on my face when oh, I watched no. it for this movie. I, and, I know, thought this it, is amazing. It is. Look at this, nineteen seventy. <laughs> like this is this is great. It's the eat you your know, the heart I... out, Superman two. And it, it, because this is so 
removed in the past, I think there is all there's like an authentic attempt to make it seem like it's part of one continuous movie. Mm-hmm. Because that's closer to the way people used to watch movies. You didn't used to go to a particular screening. You'd go to the movie theater, and sometimes you could join a movie halfway through and then, you know, watch the first half on a loop. Right. And if you wanted to see a movie again and again, you could just keep going. So we're still in that era. So I understand, like, I think the impulse to do it comes out of that. But yeah, it is. It's um, it's a way of easing the audience back in. It's of course a way of getting more Charlton Heston in the movie. Yeah, because he's only in a scene of this movie. Because he's spread, only spread twelve minutes or something the, like that of spread thinly across yeah. the entire movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, it's a it's also an early example of of something that you know we see all the way through to like Back to the Future. Where they re-edit the original footage yeah. to make it say what you want. What you yeah, exactly. Where you where and, you want to go for this movie. And omitting inconvenient plot points. And the, the, the you well, you'll know because you saw the original. They cut out the part where Zaya says to Cornelius and Zira, exactly. You will be tried for heresy. Yeah. Cause that, you know, that hamstrings them for the rest of the movie if they go with that. Exactly. Um, and, you know, you can do headcanon work but it's and say like, that once they got back to Ape City, it was like, the guerrillas are starting a war. We don't have time for this heresy shit. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's like... But they it's don't like, say that. It's like they address it and don't address it all at the same time because right. they're, they have this council... And and the gorillas are like, listen, we're we we we're we need to take charge. We need to do what we need to do. And Does everybody, that, the... please stand and cheer. And then there's, so it's like there's this this um uh, uh un there's been no voice given to this. Yeah. But it's like, listen, you two, you're yeah. on the short list. <laughs> so of course you're gonna stand this. up, or then you're gonna have your trial. I'm watching you. You know. No, I mean, there's there's a headcanon deleted scene of, you know, they, they, Zeus and uh, Ed Cornelius and Zira. First of all, they're like, hey, you know that nephew of mine? We lost him on the way. He's gone. Uh, never came back. Yeah. And then and then they get off the horse. They see the gorillas, like, militarizing. They're like, hey, you know that stuff I said about heresy? Probably put that on the back burner for a couple of years. Yeah. Um. But it's really you're going to really be my confidants. Like, I'm going to I'm going to tell you that I'm going with them, but to keep an eye on them. Like, but it, it's also interesting, like in that re-edit, what they stress that's uh-huh. different from from the from the ending of the last movie. They make a big thing of Zaya saying, you know, Taylor will find his destiny. Yeah, and that makes it look like this is uh, the beginning of the movie. And it is like you know his. It makes it look like this movie is about t- it's Taylor's quest for answers, which is not what I got from the first movie. But if you see this as the beginning of this movie's narrative, well, it I makes mean, he sense. gets one huge answer at yeah. the be- at the end of the first movie. Well, that's an answer about where he is, but this movie makes it look that he's look he's trying to find out, you know, where all the humans at, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But this is my first. Okay, this is. I'm gonna jump in now with my first. Me human, you up? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? In a sequel, that would. In this sequel, that would totally work as a variation on me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Yeah. Me human, you up? Um, This is my first anecdote because I said in the previous episode that 
I first experienced Planet of the Apes through Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Right. And I recorded it off television. I was very young. It's one of my first times recording anything off television. It was the middle of the night it was on. Uh, and, you know, by the time I'd started the recording or set the recording, we were into that first scene. And I watched the whole thing. And in the back of my mind, I'd watch Planet of the Apes. Wow. Beneath the Planet of the Apes was my Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And then as a teenager, I saw Planet of the Apes is on TV. Hey, you know, I'll, I haven't seen this in years. I'll put it on. <laughs> Started watching it. I I'm a teenager, you know. I should be connecting dots by now. I'm watching Planet <laughs> of the Apes. I'm like, you know, it's like an hour and a half in. I'm looking at the TV listings going, it's only half an hour of this to go. How are they going to fit all that stuff underground in? <laughs> Even up to the point where the movie ended, I thought they were going to go straight through that beach. Right. To it Straight into Brent crash landing. Brent, Brent yeah, exactly. That's... I just couldn't. And then I was like, oh, I must have seen the sequel. Hmm. that's amazing and I think it's all because you know this movie kind of tricked me with the ending with the last one you know I really did see it as one continuous movie uh, by right. the time I got around to seeing the original so it's interesting how how uh, how first you experience these movies dictates yeah, how you, well, even yeah. how you watch the original Good stuff. All right, well, let's take our first break. Let's take oh, our God. first break, and then like we'll... a minute into the movie. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back. We did it's... We stayed... We're not even past the last movie. I know. Exactly. And then we'll come back. And we'll, we're going to start uh, diving deeper. Right after this. Deep underground. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the Ted Post film. All right, Tom. Can we... We've barely scratched the surface of this movie's narrative. And the surface of the planet. Yeah. We're still above ground. <laughs> but I want to talk about 
maybe a more overarching thing with these sequels in general because now do I have this right? What year does the original Planet of the Apes take place in? Isn't it 3978? That sounds right, yeah. But this movie takes place in 3955. Again, no one's going back like, and checking the film. I'm just curious. Like th- This series does yeah. this all the time where they're like shooting themselves in the foot. If it's 3955, how would Taylor be there? Well, because the movie's telling you that's the date. <laughs> and you have okay, no fine. way of verifying that information until something <laughs> called VHS is invented. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Even though you saw well, the movie we'll two years ago, you can be pretty sure that it's, or, you know, if it's you, then 30 years, you'll But I would remember. just think, if you're going to make a sequel, maybe you would at least have access to the previous screenplay. Could look that shit up. Well, you've got a, a, a whole reel of that movie in your movie, so you've, probably, True. <laughs> you've got access to a copy of the film. You could go from there. <laughs> well, they also but, uh... they also slip in at like they do something which sequels always do, which while we're reenacting the original movie, they slip in some new mythology, which is that they they <laughs> time traveled here. Yeah, because in the original movie, there's no sense that you know it's just it's just relativity. Yeah, uh-huh. they're going faster than light, so by the time they get back. This period of time has elapsed. But here they went on something called a Hasline curve. And that name is very will become very important later. Um, so essentially, you know, it's not they didn't wait to introduce time travel into these movies. We got it right now. Yeah, exactly. They're time travelers. Immediately. Yeah. Love it. That's great. <laughs> well, and so <laughs> there there's something I mean, we've talked previously, I, you know, I said there was a budget of $3 million and we've kind of discussed the narrative uh, where we get Brent and PCs Nova and then you get these flashbacks of Taylor mm. and the fire cliffs, which is just kind of deliciously bad to me. Well, this is really interesting because... In terms of its effects, you yeah. know, the actual effects. I well, mean, the fire and lightning effects are terrible, but... In the context of the fact that they're they're mirages, mm-hmm. they're like illusion, you know, they're psychological illusions. That kind of works. That kind of makes narrative sense. That yeah. makes narrative sense. However, the earth breaking open looks so good, <laughs> right? Exactly. That that fucks the fake looking argument. Yeah. <laughs> because clearly they just work. You know, one worked and one didn't. Um. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's uh. It's kind of, it's weird to have Charlton Heston certainly, sorry, suddenly appear as like a flashback kind of memory, kind of Nova memory flashback. Yeah, it's her memory. Um, We're really basically mostly just off hearing his name, right? Because, you know, I've talked about this on, I think on other podcasts. I don't know if I've said this here. Um, Charlton Heston would only agree only agreed to be in this movie if he could be in one scene. He accepted a compromise where they would break that one scene up. He says into into two scenes. What they've actually done is they've kind of spread him like butter across yeah. the movie. As thinly. Thin, very, thinly. very thinly. So, you know, 
there's the the end of the last movie that he's in. There's a flashback here. We get an image of him, you know, and then so it's one scene broken up over the entire movie, uh, and and that's how it works. But um, and the other condition was that they killed him at the end, mm-hmm. but they went one better than that. Yeah, I'll say. They did not stop there, but we'll get there. Um, yeah. We'll get there later. Um, I guess now that Brent has been introduced, we need to talk about Brent. <laughs> Pepsi. Because Pepsi Taylor. Pepsi Charlton Heston, because he is, he is the prototypical surrogate. Oh my God, yes. We came up with this term to describe uh, a character in a sequel who plays exactly the same role as a character in the original, but is played by a different actor and is ostensibly a different person. But what's amazing about this movie is you also have the original actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... And I, you, so when they finally meet each other and then fight, I don't yes. know how to make sense of that metafilmically. <laughs> you've got, you've got a star and his stand-in fighting each other within the fictional universe of the movie. What do you do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even in that documentary I'm talking about, they say, I think James Franciscus was cast because he looked like Charlton Heston and he acted like oh, Charlton you think? Heston. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't even... But that's the great thing about that casting is it's it's totally on the nose. No one is pretending no, that this guy yeah. is anything but a surrogate, a placeholder. Um, Until we can get to the real Charlton Heston later in the movie. Well, later in the movie, Zira confuses him for Taylor. Yeah. When she first sees him. I mean, I'm sure... When she first sees him. I'm sure there's cross-species identification bias going on there. We all look alike. Yeah. But, you know, this movie is making no bones about the fact that this is the the fill-in. This is right. the this is the Heston alternate for the parts of the movie that Charlton Heston is not in, um, and they're not even making bones about the fact that this the first half of this movie is a speed through of the original movie because yeah, I mean, this like, is the line to a when when obviously the first thing we see is a crashed spaceship uh, and uh, with one survivor, so that's a complete reset to the beginning of the original. Mm-hmm. One of the first thing that Brent says is, I quote, we were following Taylor's trajectory, so whatever happened to us must have happened to him. Right. The movie is owning what it's about to do. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and then we've already discussed this, but so he, he sees Nova. Yeah. And then he does exactly what Charlton Heston and his partners had to do in the first movie. He goes across a lot of desert. But faster. A lot. But yes, in, but in half must, the time, but, uh, but exactly but much half the time. That's the great exactly. to the to the second. Yeah, they get through the first the the first half hour of the original but movie. What's in interesting? Minutes. Yeah, so they they do this quickly. Find the ape community. Yeah, we get the narrative. What we were talking about the the warring apes, or rather gorillas. Yeah, uh, the orangutans. And Dr. Zayas don't really trust them, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, that, I mean, that's a big shift. That's actually, there's a conceptual thematic shift here. Because the original movie, right. 
the the conflict was uh, religion versus science. Yes. Whereas the central conflict in the in the ape culture this time is military versus science. Correct. Uh, and that's you know that's a um, that's fascinating for a lot of reasons. I think mainly for me because you did change it changes so the 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 idea of do you think that has to do with being from 68 to 70 yes and vietnam yes i do i I think the idea of planet of the apes is a it's an open-ended science fiction metaphor Mm -hmm. that straddles the political spectrum you can read into the apes as conservative an allegory as you want or as liberal an allegory you, you want. And this this military r- rally with the guerrillas is a classic example of that. Yeah, because absolutely. if you're on the liberal side of politics, you would... You're read, like zero. You don't want to stand up. <laughs> you would read it, you know, you would read it as uh, Vietnam, Vietnamese, Vietnam warmongering, basically. Mm-hmm. What America's leaders are doing drumming up an unnecessary war that, you know, people are going to die in and take the country to its ruin. If, However, I also think you can read this, if you're a terrible conservative person, as <laughs> fears about the Black Power movement. Yeah, right. The way that the guerrillas are encoded as the blackest of the black. Right. And the, the idea of them taking power—and that's like—that's prevalent throughout the series, right? But uh, th- but it's it really it really coalesces here because um, General is it Ursus says the yeah. guerrilla general says, "I do not hate humans simply because their skin is white." You cannot mm-hmm. get more on the nose than you that. Can't, yeah, right. Exactly right. That the, 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 and you know many many many. Uh, African-American activists and comedians, uh, commentators have, have, you know, said, have talked about, you know, there is this color grading in the Planet of the Apes. Right. That, you know, the fairer, the fairer apes are the... Are always the most intelligent. Intelligent and, and yeah. rational and the black, the you know, the darker of the apes are the ones who are brutal and militaristic and, uh, you know, quote unquote savage. Um, that's all true. There's, you know, you can also see it as an incredibly progressive and countercultural image as well. You get both. Literally, you get both. Yeah. And that's right. why this series works so well, because no one, you can lit, you can read into it what you want, but you can go all the way from left to right. And one back again. end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. Uh, so it's fantastic for that. Well, what's kind of interesting as well is how the way that politics is approached, and I think this is what you were getting at with 68 to 70, has changed. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, exactly, right. You know, if you compare this to the original movie, it had kind of quite... It, it was it was both... When they did political allegory, it was both subtle and backward-looking. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about the blacklist, the Scopes trial, you know... Yeah. Relig- the issues that probably are, you know they've shaped the twentieth century of American politics, but they're not, you know, we're not talking about right now. This uh, later on, we have a peace protest in this movie, 
where doctors the doctor Zeus breaks up because he says we don't want martyrs now mm-hmm. this movie was released on may 24th 1970 on may 4th the kent state massacre took place wow where for those of you who don't know uh, a student anti-vietnam protest was uh um, broken up by National Guard by, and, and yeah. several students were killed by the National Guard at the same time. You cannot get a more direct line to what's going on in your political reality than that. And a lot was made even of the original that it, it was released uh, a day after... No, sorry, it was released and then a day after Martin Luther King died. Was died, wow. was assassinated. Um, and people read thematic parallels into that. There's a madman ep- Mad Men episode that covers both events in the same episode, but that's nothing compared to this. Mm-hmm. That is like, you know, that is hitting the nail on the head. And I think often the fact that this movie is more direct and on the nose when it comes to its political meanings is seen as as uh, a flaw. That it doesn't have that nuance that the original has. Oh, it's definitely more. It's definitely more on the nose. But yeah, it's no less powerful. Especially, but I, I was just gonna say you, it's not any less that, effective. You think that someone is going into that movie theater who might, you know, might have been in the Kent State massacre, or just mm-hmm. lived through it, or just seen it on TV? They're bound to connect the dots in a way that makes all Planet of the Apes almost look quaint. You know, because right. it's, it's about scopes. It's about the late 1940s and the Red yeah, Scare. McCarthyism it's like, and, yeah. This is, it's crazy. So props to the movie. Mad for, props, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, their ability to, it's about their ability to take what is in the air politically and, and, and find a way to express but it. But I find it so fascinating that, like, how this movie toggles between... Those big ideas, uh, but also like narratively matched with, well, he gets caught and then he escapes and then he gets caught again. And we're just trying to fill some time. Oh, my God. It's it's just (laughs) it's so efficient and yet so routine. It's literally going through the motions of a story. Exactly. And everything is like a pale version of the of the original. I love that, like the the first chase through the forest, such diminishing returns. One ape, right? One flesh yeah. wound, a few trees. Not they're not even on horses. No, it's just, like, it's just. And can somebody explain to me in this universe, especially in these first two movies, like the original and this movie? Man, people heal fast. Yeah. Yeah. He gets shot in the neck, and the next thing you know, he's got a scar that seems to show that it's been healed for a year. And same with his bullet wound on his arm. Yeah. For in this movie, cracks me up. Speaking of, you know, can you explain to me? Can you explain to me how one of the holdovers from human culture is a steam room? <laughs> I mean, I cannot. <laughs> these are these are creatures with fur. Yeah, it's like... Why would they sit why in Why would they room? want... <laughs> I mean, it's a nice image, Dr. Zaius and, and, and Ursus with... Uh... It, I think it was literally just an opportunity for more prosthetic makeup. 
But and would, like, I mean, were they actually than... trying to torture these actors? Like, I don't know. Literally torture them. Not only are they in a full body ape suit, they have to sit in steam. <laughs> Did they not go through enough having to wear prosthetics? I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess this is the point we reintroduce. Oh well, we we got to talk about this. <laughs> the the surrogate discussion has not ended. No. Um. <laughs> did, I mean, I I do I need to tell you that is it going to blow your mind? Uh, that. Uh, Cornelius is not Cornelius. Oh, I know. You know. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You do no. your research. I thought you'd know. Yeah. But for those of you. Listening and who may I mean, but for a movie series movie, that hires the same actor to play even different characters, yes. like th- this is almost nothing. Like, I guess he just so. wasn't available. You know, so this is not Roddy McDowell as Cornelius. He was directing a movie in England and was unavailable. Right, uh, and the actor's name is like it's so generic. I keep forgetting it. Every I've looked it up about five times. Derek Watson, Devon, David Watson. God, it's even more generic than I thought. Wow, um, but. And, and, you know, the, the entire purpose, as with Brent, the entire purpose of this recasting is that you would not notice it was not Roddy McDowell. Yeah. And they just tried to go slip by. And it works magnificently well. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, hard to a... tell that's not Roddy McDowell inside. Yeah, right. Them. And it's kind of a credit to the makeup of these movies. And the actor. You know, yeah. that's a thankless job. And we we've seen it before with uh, that's Je- like uh, whoever Weiss. played Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah. But Back to the Future too. Um, this is this is even more seamless. And you know, I think the first few times I saw this movie, I assumed it was Roddy McDowell, but you know, he had a cold or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> so so well done, David Watson. But it's also interesting. how much they're not a part of the narrative. Like they're, they're there for a, you know, a mm. small chunk and then they're gone. Except there, there are only, actually, if you break this movie down, there are only two heroic agencies in the movie. And one of mm-hmm. them is Zira. And yeah. both of them are women, which I find fascinating. I think, I think that's another 1968 to 70 shift. Shift. Like yeah. beginnings of feminism, the women's movement, because Zira's is the one who unlocks the uh, the cage, the cage on the carriage that allows right. Brent to escape, and to no- escape. Nova is the one who saves Brent and Taylor from killing each other. Yeah. Um. So more by accident, by just showing up, but <laughs> yeah, but so I mean, yeah, they they don't have much to do, but I think Zira at least narratively has a very decisive has a, a like a turn you know she's responsible for a turning point in but i narrative. always thought it was kind of interesting that we never even see if there's a consequence to that action yeah it's just it, 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 again it's inconvenient it's an inconvenient storyline so they they got rid of yeah. it they they yeah. got uh, you know and but but interestingly zayas is still kind of looks pissed with them mm-hmm <laughs> But they never mention the reason why they're still pissed. And now he's pissed because because Zira is, you know, trying to stand up against... Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's like he's pissed war- about yeah. that, but he's also confiding in them that I'm going to go with these warring gorillas because I don't quite trust them, so... Yeah. we so But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fudging here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was I'm always struck by uh, Cornelius saying, "We loved Taylor." Watch back, Planet of the Apes. You specifically, <laughs> Cornelius, do not love. Did not love Taylor. Right. Zira might be able to get away with saying that. You cannot say that. And also, but and I think this may, in the end, turn out to be deliberate. There's no um, mention of the fact that Doctor Zaius is a theocrat. Mm-hmm. Like he rules a, a society based on religion. Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't know that. From just this movie. From watching this movie, right. It's it's like halfway through the movie before anyone mentions that it's a holy war. It's never depicted as that. I think in the end, they're, they, they're sort of playing that side of ape society down because of what happens beneath the planet of the apes. It's yeah. so much... It's so religious satire based. Well, and it's... Because uh, Ursus is... What he's talking about is the Forbidden Zone. Yeah, that right. But it's more like abstract. He doesn't even know what's there. It's Vietnam. And 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 they find the cave by accident. Like, yeah, wasn't that where they went? Or right about here is where we lost them? Or and, and they must have gone in that hole in the rock, you know? That's where you know that's know where you lose who's that's, down there. That's how you're able to do the same to do a whole movie in half the time by taking these kind of shortcuts. Right. These, yeah, exactly. Because in the original movie there's a giant exp- there's like a giant fact finding mission with cartography and archaeology and here they just wander into the right cave accidentally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but it's but, but and, what a cave! The, I mean, that's the that's the the you know carnival cave of New York past. <laughs> but the Forbidden Zone is is very much Vietnam. I mean, the uh-huh. even the the tactics of the of the underground people are like that of the Viet Cong. It's guerrilla tactics. Mm-hmm. It's it's. It cannot be an accident, <laughs> right? Exactly. That this is this is exactly the sort of the way that that these warring societies are represented. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, we're about to get into some interesting shit because now we got to find the people beneath the planet of the apes. Yeah, so why don't we take another break? We're nearly at the end of uh, you know the speed through. Of the speed through of the first movie. When, when when Brent has to find out that this is Earth. Right. All over again. <laughs> Wait, what? What's going on here? Yeah. New uh, York Stock Exchange. Yeah. And I, I just as a you know, before we go to break, just as a sort yeah. of I don't I don't want the last word on Brent to be that he is just a placeholder. He is. Everyone's fine with that, but he re- James Franciscus as an actor puts his back into this performance. He does, yeah. He You're takes right. it very seriously. In fact, even Linda Harrison, who played Nova, in an interview, has said he took it really seriously. Yeah, I remember reading that. Like he was like almost too seriously, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and if if Charlton Heston is taking it less seriously than you, you must be one serious actor, <laughs> right? <laughs> um. Uh... 
And I think he does great work. Like it, it. He, he he's good in the movie. He goes through all the same emotions that Charlton Heston does that, in the that, last movie that we've already seen once. But, yeah, but it's it's authentic. You know, he's not he's not as cynical as the movie is with casting him. Yeah, like he break to me. He breaks through that. I agree. Yeah, I I I think he does too. All right, we're gonna take a break, everyone, and we'll be back right after what I'm sure will be a quality commercial. Right after this. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 1970 sequel, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's time to go to 11, Tom. Here are my two, here are my two notes in succession. I have one note that says, this movie feels repetitive to the first movie and itself. <laughs> yes. Followed by... About an hour in, this movie just dropped acid. Yeah. <laughs> well, we and know, I we... am on the trip. Boy, am I too. Uh, well, as soon as as soon as Brent goes underground, sees the Queensborough Plaza, yeah, uh, subway station, he says, "This used to be my home." Great. The recap has officially ended. It's done. The first hour but is, what a, I love is a recap is they, montage. Is they insist on showing it like four or five times. We have yeah. to see, I forget what it is, what street we're on. Yeah. But then we see the New York Stock Exchange and we see, uh, uh, what do we see? The train station? The library. New York the library, Public yeah. The library, yeah. Uh, this, do you know the story? Do you know how they, I, first of all, like, you know, I think those, I think that, um, set production design is beautiful. Yeah. I think those images are beautiful. I'm kind of disappointed to find out how they were made. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> it is so simple, you will not believe it. All right. This is what they did. They got a photo book of New York. They cut out the buildings. Ad- <laughs> like, adjusted... 
the photographs so they were an angle that looked like false perspective. Uh-huh. And gave it to the artist and he drew it. That's it. Wow. It's just a painting of slightly altered photographs from a book. With rocks. Yeah. Uh I just I just couldn't just could not believe it. Um and that's how they do all that underground which just looks so epic. Yeah. But it's it's just paper. <laughs> it's, it's not even uh, sort of those Star Wars where they used to paint it on the glass. I think I think it's a map painting based on that, but there's no original art there. They've just taken no, right. photos of the buildings themselves and wow. you know, just altered the angles of it. So, you know, as the production designer said, we did it for free. <laughs> and, you know, they had half a budget to go with, so... Uh, incredible. It looks so... It looks so good. And it's... I think what really strikes me is that the style of of the movie just turns on a Tur- dime. Turns on its head, yeah. Like, it's like, we go from, you know, we went rapidly through the, the entire first movie, the entire first movie in half the time, and suddenly we slow down. Mm-hmm. And it's silent as well. There's no music. Yeah. It's silent. It's slow. We're underground. It's urban. Like, content style. Everything Changes. is reversed. And you literally don't know what is going to happen next or <laughs> right. where we even are. Oh, and you're you're never going to guess. And you would not guess? No. <laughs> In a million years, you would no. not think that it turns out the way it does. But everything has changed uh, in seconds. Because um, at some point, people are going to start taking off their own faces. Yeah, and also start, suddenly we start getting these intense zooms and jump cuts. I was going to say zooms, jump cuts. There's, uh, I mean, it It's becomes... a totally lift, different visual language down under, the, under right. the Planet of the Apes, beneath the Planet of the Apes. You well, and say. so, and what's funny is that, I mean, as d- represented by Dr. Zayas, you, you always sort of have that aspect of the religiosity, but... Yeah. But it's sort of muted with him. Def- in this movie, yeah, it's non-existent. Right. And then it like all of a sudden, like religion is back in focus. Like <laughs> like You I can't mean, get more heavy handed religious satire than oh my God. a nuclear it's... bomb. <laughs> the divine bomb. Yeah. It brings religion back into focus. And it's silly and it's on the nose. But I think it works extremely well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's 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 just. I mean, we even before we get to that, we have a lot of mind control murder. Yeah, happening. Uh... <laughs> or at least mind control attempted murder. Attempted murder, and then until you know, like in, <laughs> instead of <laughs> we have. Uh, Telepathic forms of communication, replacing yes. dialogue. Yeah, exactly. We go, Which... we go. Twilight wolves on all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> which would be, which would be like, I mean, it would be even more experimental if they, if they sort of followed through on the idea of telepathy, 
unfortunately, Brent, and, you know, shout out to Indiana Jones Minute, he's a real Johnny says what he sees. <laughs> right? He's telling you everything that they're saying. Right? He's, say, he's saying it in his answer. Yeah. He's like the one-sided phone call of this movie. <laughs> the police? No, you're the police! And that that's him. And, you know, it's a movie from 1970. It, it Johnny was never... says what he thinks. Isn't it great? That's amazing. Uh, the, the great Jerry Porter there. Um, and, yeah, the genre of the movie totally changes. Mm-hmm. We went from fantasy adventure to hard science fiction. Again. Hard. Like, hard science fiction with, as you have noted, a psychedelic twist. Yes. <laughs> bloop, bloop. And it's so unrushed. I mean, it's like, it, it's really taking its time now. Yeah. Oh. Because we see Dr. Zayas come up with uh, Ursus. And yeah. they're going to get the fake fire and they're going to get the the Christ-like... Is it supposed to be Caesar? Well, it's, that... the law, it's the lawgiver who I think right. is reimagined as Caesar in, in battle. The... Okay. Well, that's a different time... You know, it's a different timeline, but... You're right. Yeah. So the lawgiver becomes Caesar, but at this point it's not Caesar. Right, because I mean, at what? Well, I'll and if you think it, I'm but, being vague, yeah, that's not that's on me. That's not me. That's the movie. <laughs> but but yeah, and the, that's I mean, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, it's kind of in the 1970s, got sci- Passion of the Christ imagery well, going on. Sci-fi and... and horror would start to kind of mingle more in the 70s, and this is a clear indication of that. Because it's suddenly so violent and gory. This is a G-rated movie. Exactly right. With a crucifixion, and that in it. was always one of the huge concerns for these movies of like, how can we keep it G? Well, don't have crucified apes on fire and a bleeding <laughs> statue, right? I mean, and that's you know, it's again, it's like a, a a classic, but again, here formative sequel move is like you up the. I mean, they were ahead of the game here. You up the oh, ante yeah. on violence and gore as yeah. a way of maintaining people's interest in the movie. But it's also a pattern within this series of elevating the amount of violence only then to spend the next movie kind of undoing that and taking it back down again and then yeah. repeating the pattern. It's fascinating. It's amazing. Uh, it's just like, Wow. Um, so narratively, I mean, for those that haven't seen this movie, what do you listen to us for? Watch it first and then come back. But yeah, but narratively, the the people beneath the planet of the apes know that they cannot match them. All they have is the telepathy. Yeah, that's all they've got. And so they're they're coming up with these telepathic traps to tr- just try and keep people at bay. Traumatic hypnosis. Yeah. Deterrent-based violence. Yeah. Again, because... the, the Viet Cong. Right. <laughs> or, you know, or like a in a more allegorical sense, it's a satire of the idea of a nuclear deterrent. Nu- you're right. Because and it's... It's that they... I... You know, it's... And that's kind of interesting that we're... Fascinating. Just after this, we're going to get into the Cold War. Yeah. 
fuck, this movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, it kind of gets quite silly when you have church organ hymns altered to incorporate the word bomb. Right. But it lands very well. Like it, it's sort of, there's something about, <laughs> about that, about them going through with that, like, silly idea. And taking it to its extreme where you've got a full court, you've got a choir singing, you know, ha- you sort of like hail to the bomb, ha- yeah. all creatures great and bomb or whatever it yeah. is. Bomb, uh, bomb, <laughs> bomb, bomb, bomb. And James Franciscus is in the middle of it dressed as a choir boy going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> the look on, and this is what I mean about him sort of carrying whatever is put on his shoulders. He's looking around going, hey, does anyone else know how crazy this is? And well, and then they just start taking off their fucking faces. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this is the, I mean, this is the real showstopper. This is arguably the part of the movie where they match. Uh, because, the, well, for those of you who don't know, the original Planet of the Apes movie transformed movie prosthetics. Yeah. I mean, by the time Planet of the Apes had done... Everything in that field of uh, design had changed because of this one movie. So much so that that makeup artist John Kruber, uh, well, prosthetics artist John Kruber, they had to invent an Oscar just to give him right. something. They just didn't, they just said, "Here's an Oscar. What's it for? All of Your this. Work. We don't have a Your category work. for it. You you changed everything. Yeah, and he did this too, and." In its own way, I think it's just as incredible. It's just as good. That's, I mean, you know, the detail of those, of, uh, of the inside of their heads. Yeah. Uh, and Ted Post deserves some credit as well, because he really pushed for it being as anatomically correct as as you could make it. Um, because oh, wow, okay. Originally, they were revisioning mutation as, you know, a different number of eyes and limbs and stuff like that, but... He Big sort of said, bumps. no. He said, go to the medical journals. And John Kreber was previously a war medic and designed prosthetics for veterans. Oh, wow. So he, that was right, you know, that was right up his alley. And that's how they got to that look. And it's such a, it's such a showstopper moment. Yeah. In this movie when they all, it's like, oh, they're all wearing skin masks. Skin masks. <laughs> that's what they really look like. Um, and it's just as top of the line as uh, as the ape masks, which is good because some of the ape masks are looking a little. Uh, well, in order so to save the, money, the crowd scenes. yeah, it's like they went down to the store from Halloween Four and just <laughs> yes. grabbed whatever monkey masks they could find. But only in the background, in the foreground, it's all good. It's it, all good it, stuff. It, it right. withstands a good steam. Yeah. <laughs> it must be good if it's withstanding that amount of steam. Oh my gosh! Um, well, it, and then Coke meets Pepsi. Right. I was just gonna say, the star and his stand-in meet within the fictional universe of the movie, and, but and everybody's minds just everyone's head explodes, scanner style. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that I mean, this is this is the rest of Charlton Heston's scene that he contra- yeah, contractually that he agreed. contractually said I'll do. And I love how, again, the pace changes. We get to them fighting very quickly. As if... Right. I'm saying as if, probably 
it's true. As if Charlton Heston has somewhere else to be. Because <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> it's already half a scene. And it feels like it moves too fast. <laughs> he was buying a new gun that day. <laughs> it's also a stark reminder that uh, per Star Trek and the original Planet of the Apes, that late 60s, early 1970s sci-fi just eventually will descend to pugilism. Mm-hmm. Like, it will just like, end up being two guys fighting. Right. Uh, I think Alex Robinson from Star Wars Minute made that comment about, you know, why he prefers Star Wars to Star, uh, Star Trek. It's like, uh, at the end of every Star Trek, you know it's just going to come down to two guys fighting. <laughs> uh, well, in, in this one, for those that don't know, the, the, the two astronauts see each other, recognize each other, are happy to see each other, but then are forced to fight through the uh, telepathic powers of one of the beneaths. Yeah, and they would have both... Uh, <laughs> I say they would have both been killed. That They would have both been given a brief clemency. Right. Uh, <laughs> if, it keeps uh, turning if, around. If it weren't for the intervention of Nova, uh, again, the, on, the only other person in the movie who does anything proactive that that helps anyone. Um, and, and, well, and you what know, do you it, make of Linda Harrison taking on this role where she never speaks a line for two movies? She's pretty incredible. She, oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's... I, I think she's fantastic in this and the original movie. I think what I like about this movie, you mentioned, you know, getting the band back together and... Mm-hmm. The ability to sort of bounce off the original cast. Yeah. We haven't even talked about... I mean, Doctor Morris Evans as Dr. Zayas is as good in this movie as he is in the original. In the original, movie. yeah. And he is damn good in that movie. He's asked to do something... Interestingly, probably the only person who's asked to do something totally different this time. Mm-hmm. Because he's in a totally different role. He's basically... He's trying to mediate between the uh the chimps and the gorillas you know war versus science and he's supposed to be the image and you really get that sense of a guy who's caught between these two poles of thinking yeah just through his acting because he's grumbly all the time he's like oh i guess i suppose we'll go and invade them but let's you know let's yeah. think about it first and you know he's just it just it's a real it's a well really you have a bit real of a carryover of that character don't you think you have a bit of a carryover from the first movie? Uh, you know, this idea of he's got to go find his destiny. And you always have that sense that Dr. Zayas knows about the Forbidden Zone and, and the dangers of it. And that's why he just wants people to stay away. He doesn't want people to know about how the apes evolved and any of that. And, and like, like, I think a lot of that is headcanon. Because think? I think it's made very clear in the original movie that there's n there's no life in the Forbidden Zone. I mm. think that's a bit of a retcon, and I think they've just adjusted. They put Zeus back in that, um, but there's no sense that there's anyone down there in the original movie, and that's fine. You know, I I don't. I guess you're right about that. Like the the original movie has more to do with. Uh, his fear of finding out that how the apes evolved. Yeah. Um, that humans used to be in control of them. Right. But uh, it's just, just great, great, great performance. And um, 
Yeah, and, and, and something, I guess, something that I think you should look out for in later sequels is how they choose to put African Americans in the most oppressive roles in this movie. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't notice the race of the, the race of the guards who's watching, you know, who's making them kill each other. Right. Um, never occurred to me before, but when you match it with the rest of the movies, they always like to make a point of it's the black guy who's in the like position of brutalizing underlings underlings right which i find which I, I sort of find in again going back to that is this a, is this just really racist or is this progressive and you could play it both ways that's the thing well and that it's funny you say that because i kept going back and forth of where i would say uh throughout the series they they seem to be trying to comment on race on race but this seems really racist yeah <laughs> you know they're doing it in the most racist way possible yeah uh and then you know we get we get told that the bomb is the omega mm-hmm. the omega edition of uh of an atom bomb <laughs> um and th- that along with the skinless zombies i mean it's a foreshadow of what the 1970s has in store for Charlton Heston as an actor, <laughs> right? It's not just science fiction in the 70s; it's also Charlton Heston's film career right. was dictated by this uh, this movie. And I mean, and, you know, the I talked to, I mentioned that you know I thought this was a really ambitious uh, that this part of the movie was so ambitious. And it, one of the uh, well, yeah, one of the things that gets me is. We have no point of sympathy here. No. The apes are fighting the underground nuclear people with humans in the middle. It's one kind of evil versus another. And also our point of identification is split between two people who are essentially the same person. Right. And who in the last part of this movie go around as if they are two thought processes in the same brain. (laughs) And it's like, you know... I, I was really struck by, I mean, you know, Brent getting getting shot. Oh my God, it's horrific. It yeah, it's like, is it, well, first of all, what's even worse about it? So we've been talking about these two characters as the same person. There are some minor differences that actually do end up mattering. One is that Brent is lower in rank, mm-hmm. which is also which is a you know symbolic of how he's. The, the sequel version of, yeah, Charlton right. Heston. He's the but Pepsi. also, but also he is represented throughout as being generally more pleasant and mm-hmm. humane than Taylor ever. A better was. person. He's yeah. such a better. Like compare the way he consoles his dying astronaut superior to the way that Charlton Heston spends the first hour of Planet of the Apes, like talking shit about the apocalypse. Right. Uh, to his colleagues it, it, it's chalk and cheese and so brent is the one who's rousing taylor who's you know who's like completely world weary at this point he's like come on come on let's go and get you come know, on let's we go gotta do it we gotta do it yeah um turns out taylor's more right than he is that there is no hope none in, in any so of bleak at the end of this movie he gets shot and charlton heston gets shot as well but can manage to put his hand on literally on the button Literally, literally on the button, and again, this was his idea apparently to blow to well, blow up the world. And that's the thing was that this movie, 
this movie wants to end the series. Yeah, and Charlton Heston specifically didn't want to be asked to do it again. Ever again, yeah. So he said, why don't I blow the world up? And they, they took him at his word. And before that, you actually get a really powerful character moment, which is the reunion of Taylor and Dr. Zayas. Like in yeah. the middle of this madness. This And this is where I really admire the script. Because, you know, like, it's... Like, I guess you could get away with them not meeting again. But they have a moment that... You know, it's a tiny little moment, but it speaks to their entire relationship throughout this. Right. Because it starts with Zay. This is my, my favorite part of it, is it starts with Zayn's going, I knew you'd be involved in this right, somehow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, that is I just mean, it's perfect. delicious. It's like, it's part of it is like, yeah, he's the only, talk, you know, one of two talking humans on the planet and the only one you know of. For a start. Right. But, but second of all, it's just like, it just speaks to the way that their relationship is teased out. I love that, they, that they're that they able to have that moment in the middle of all this. Uh, and then everyone dies and the world ends. Yep. Which, I'm going to say this and feel free to contradict me. Both Go ahead. Mike and, and anyone listening. I think this is the bleakest ending of any film in the history of Hollywood cinema. Oh, wow. I cannot think of a... In a major motion picture produced by a major studio, I cannot think of a bleaker ending than everyone dies and the world ends. However, well, I know that that's the, the intent, but I also have to wonder, that nuclear bomb's underground. Yeah, I mean, so it doesn't also, matter because they, they decide up... in the right. next sequel that that is what happened and that's what pushes the narrative for that story to go forward. Right. But in reality, I I don't think that planet's going to I don't think the planet's going to implode because one nuclear bomb is set off. Oh, Everybody the... underground dead. But it's the Omega edition. <laughs> right. Specifically exactly. designed for that purpose. We're told that. <laughs> I know. And we also... <laughs> I'm just saying of and my we also get a knowledge vo- of and how bombs if, work. If you, But that's the thing. If you are in any doubt that they can walk this back, they give you a voiceover that tells you in no uncertain exactly, terms yeah. the Earth blows up. And that's <laughs> what I mean. It's like we're leaving no ambiguity on the table here. Um. Yeah, well, a lot of things about that bomb don't add up as well. The fact that you came up with a, a nuclear bomb that could destroy the world by 1972. Right. You, you know, and that it seems to be, op, you know, that between seven, 1970 and 1972, we started to only use crystals to operate things like we're in the Fortress of Solitude. Right? Yes. Feels very land of the lost. Unless, you know, the underground people made those additions. I don't know, but they don't seem to know what they're doing with the bomb. Which is ironic, since it is their deity. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. I was going to say it is their god. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is where I think you know, the bleakness and nihilism of seventy science fiction is, is paved ahead for us in this it's moment. So delicious, Tom. Um, 
I mean, we've talked about I even resent that. Before. I even resent that. I know they were trying to actually trying to clear up any ambiguity in a in a way that's actually quite powerful. But I don't like that voiceover. No, it's stupid. It's pathetic, <laughs> badly written, underwhelming. It 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 kind of undoes the insanity a little bit. Um, yeah, right. And it's it's like too much like a Rod Serling Twilight Zone outro. It does feel very Sterling. I that's my note actually. And he's also the, the whoever's doing it is trying to be Orson Welles and how he and they're says not. It. And yeah. it comes in too soon, doesn't last long enough, then cuts out. <laughs> End of rant. But I do like the silent the silent credits that follow. Yeah. Because there is nothing musical that can follow this. Nope. It's just um it's just I it's, I like I, every literally time I see it's it, the end. <laughs> every time I see it, I'm surprised they go as far as they do. Every single time. I keep looking for something that suggest you you know that it, it's not what it is which is complete and total annihilation it's not even it's it's worse than even just blowing up the world and seeing everyone irradiate because you actually have to witness the character your leads deaths right before it happens like every any point of identification in the movie is but that, yeah, that's what i was gonna say because like as you brought up earlier it's like by the end of the movie who are we following? <laughs> and Brent is shot in the head in an extremely graphic in way. In the head, in the chest. I mean, he's shot all over. I mean, this was our guy. Yeah. For the movie. Um, it's I I yeah. I mean, it's so much, it's so remarkable. It's, I was gonna say fun, but that's not the right it word. It is no, but there's some there's something this I don't know there's something about that insanity and chaos at the end, which is really entertaining. Yes, when it's all going down, it's really it's it's oddly entertaining. It's like if you went to the circus and all the animals got out. <laughs> well, that's dangerously close to what it is. Yeah, and that you know the chaos of of the of the gorillas. You know, taking down the busts in the subway, um, and it's you know for for all the budget cuts, that uh, that shot of the army assembling um, mm-hmm. at the Fox Ranch, I mean, it's like an epic Hollywood western. Yeah, like it. It there's in later movies which also had budget problems. You see that B moviness creeping in, but I. Apart from there's odd moments where I see it here, but I don't get much of that. I feel like they, um, they pulled off a lot with. That's the one last they had. thing that always makes me laugh about these movies too is we're always talking about New York when everything appears, <laughs> it's like looks like it was shot on, you know, next to the set of Mash. Well, it's the Fox. Yeah, well, it is. It's the Fox Ranch. Yeah, you know, it's famously, um. Yeah, Inc- uh, just just incredible. So good. All right. Oh. Anything left for you? Credit check or? Uh, no, that was there's my not, credit there's check. There's not a lot of credits in these movies. <laughs> it's, it's like back in 1970 when like four people were thanked for the yeah. entire movie. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like what like what is sort of now 
average of five to ten minutes for credits. Mm-hmm. And this is less than a minute. Two. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to add to the discussion for Beneath the Planet of the Apes, we want to know. We love this movie. Actually, can I just can I? <laughs> I just want to add something. I've just seen it. The four most asked questions about Beneath Planet of the Apes on, on Google. Mm-hmm. How did Planet of the Apes end? What happens after Beneath the Planet of the Apes? Why was Charlton Heston in not in Beneath the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> was Nova pregnant in Planet of the Apes? Wow. She was supposed to be pregnant. That is true. Well, there you go. But her baby would have got blown up anyway. Blown up anyway. Doesn't matter. All right, everyone. Nothing matters. It's the 70s in science fiction. Nothing matters. The world ends. Thank you. Goodbye. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Coming up next, of course, is Escape from the Planet of the Apes, our favorite movie in the series. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye, Tom. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star and one of its satellites a green and insignificant planet is now dead. <laughs> That's what you went with? What better ending could there be? <laughs> You're right. Otherwise, I'm going to be going, peace and freedom, freedom and peace, peace and freedom. Someone should have given those actors something else to say. Peace and freedom, <laughs> Just freedom one, and peace. That could have did one rewrite for them. Yeah. Can we have another protest word please there you go all right everyone stay tuned coming up escape from the planet of the apes coming to your ear holes soon thank you for listening until next time